amen and amen to that. We give God praise today as we gather together to worship Him and give Him praise. He alone deserves our praise and worship. Amen. And we give Him praise today. A ship went down in a storm. As I'm talking, I'm going to pick this up. And only one man survived. He was fortunate to land on an uninhabited island in the South Pacific. With just a few items in his pocket, he was able to build a small shelter to protect himself from the rough weather that they often experienced. Once the shelter was built, the man only had one goal and one goal only, to find a ship that could rescue him and take him home to his family. Every morning and afternoon, he did the same routine. He would scan the horizon for ships hoping to be rescued. Not wanting to miss being rescued, the man would search for food in the early evening. And one evening, as he completed his journey searching for food, he returned to his shack in flames. You see, lightning had apparently struck while he was trying to find food. At this point, he realized that not only did his shack burn down, but he also lost all of his tools in the fire as well. Everything was lost, including the hope of getting rescued. In a state of deep depression and discouragement, the man sat on the beach contemplating suicide. As tears rolled down his cheeks, he contemplated a bleak future for himself. And finally, he was so exhausted, he gave in to sleep. When he woke up, the strangest thing caught his eye. He wondered if perhaps it was a mirage because just a few hundred yards away, there was a ship docked with sailors moving back and forth. Eventually, the captain of the ship approached him and said the most miraculous thing, we saw your smoke signal, and so we came. The fact is that this man had to lose everything before he could be rescued. And as creations of the living God made and created in his very image, we too had to lose everything before we could ever be rescued. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your word this morning. For the power of your word, Father, we ask the Lord to reveal its truth through your Holy Spirit. Father, help us to realize this morning that we, as your creation, had to lose it all before we can ever gain it back. And so, Father, we pray that as you speak to us through your word, may your Holy Spirit have his way with our hearts and lives today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we continue our sermon series on the book of Hebrews, for real today, we return to our regularly scheduled study as we look at Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 9. And just a brief review, in case you've forgotten of the book of Hebrews, as we've studied before, we talked about three purposes for the book of Hebrews. Number one, the book of Hebrews is dedicated to the majority and absolute superiority of Jesus over anyone and anything else. Jesus is number one. He is supreme. He reigns supreme over everything and everybody. Jesus reigns today. And we know that the Jews made an unmistakable mistake when we, when we think about accepting, uh, when they were reading the Old Testament, I mean, they saw pictures, types, symbols, rituals, all pointing to Jesus, but then they rejected the reality of Christ when he came. Now think about it. If you and I are going to prove the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, you're going to have to use the Old Testament, Right? 
So all the way back to the book of Hebrews, the writer of this epistle takes Old Testament passages and uses them to prove that Jesus is superior. And it's in the Old Testament we find what we call types of Christ. And it's scattered throughout. Give you some examples. First of all, give you a definition of types. Types, in association with the Old Testament, are merely Old Testament symbols or pictures of Christ as he is revealed in that book. And so, some examples. First of all, the sacrifices. A sacrifice of an animal prescribed by God for the forgiveness of sin involved killing that animal, sprinkling its blood on the Ark of the Covenant, which always symbolized the presence of God. And the particular sacrifice was an Old Testament type of Jesus, whose perfect shed blood and his sacrifice on the cross was the fulfillment of the Old Testament sacrifices that never, ever did take sins away permanently, but his sacrifice, his shed blood, did permanently take away all of our sins. Hebrews 9.12 says this, Christ came not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most high place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. The second type, are you all awake out there, by the way? I want to hear some, somebody, somebody out there, you know. Some of you are just moving along here. The second type of Christ in the Old Testament was the dwelling of the Israelites in tabernacles or booths. We talked about that as we talked about the Feast of Tabernacles. This feast commemorated God's deliverance, God's protection, God's provision during the wilderness wanderings found in the book of Exodus. The people would live in booths or huts made out of palm branches, remembering the provisions of God in their wilderness journey. And it celebrated always the autumn harvest and will eventually be fulfilled during the millennial reign of Christ. This feast also prophesied the appearance of Messiah who would take up residence not in a hut, not in a shed, not in a temporary place, but he would take up residence in human flesh. Did you know that? That's a picture of Jesus when we look at the Feast of Tabernacles. In fact, the matter is, John chapter 1, verse 14, the Bible says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt, or tabernacled, among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Third type of Christ in the Old Testament was the Passover lamb, a lamb without blemish. That lamb was to be sacrificed with its blood spread on the doorpost of each of the Jewish homes. When the death angel saw the blood on the doorpost, it passed over, literally sparing the Jewish household the death of their firstborn. The Passover lamb also looks ahead to yet the perfect Passover lamb, Jesus. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. So there are many types in the Old Testament symbolizing Jesus. And Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, that Christ died, was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to scriptures. What scriptures was Paul talking about? Was he talking about the New Testament? It couldn't have been the New Testament. It had to be the Old Testament. So to accept the Old Testament, to accept the Old Covenant, and reject Christ is absurd. And recall, after the resurrection of Jesus, on the road to Emmaus, as Jesus was walking along two of his disciples, the Bible says in Luke chapter 24, verse 27, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, Jesus expounded to them and all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Again, going back to the Old Testament. 
in the New Testament, we are saved by believing the promise of God. In the Old Testament, how was one saved? They were saved by believing the promise of God that was given. We believe in the promise of God that was received. You see the difference? And the history of redemptive, of all of God's redemption from beginning to end, focuses from the Old Testament all the way into the New Testament. The prophecy found in Isaiah 53 concerning the death of Christ. Psalm 22, describing the crucifixion of Christ, giving great detail on what he would say upon the cross. Isaiah 7, 14, where it describes that Jesus would be born of a virgin. Or Micah 5, 2, prophesying where Jesus was to be born in Bethlehem. We can easily take every basic characteristic in the Old Testament and show how it's revealing Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Secondly, the book of Hebrews is dedicated and exalting Jesus Christ above everything related to the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant was not satisfactory. In fact, Jesus is above Moses, who brought the law down from the mountain. He was above Aaron, who was the high priest. He was above the prophets. He was even above Melchizedek, which is a very unique priest, of which we will look at later on in the book of Hebrews. Number three, the book of Hebrews is dedicated to teaching the whole universe exists by and for Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad that it does? The whole universe. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1. In fact, if you're not at Hebrews, you might as well go ahead and get there because we're going to get to chapter 2 in just a few minutes. But Hebrews chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. Listen. You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. And they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will fold them up, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not fail. Praise God for that. The entire history of the universe is hastening the future coronation of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords one day. The day when the world for which he shed his blood for, the world which he purchased by his blood, shall belong only to him. Now notice, there we go, I like that. Y'all are getting the hang of it. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 9 accomplishes three things before we look at it. Number one, it shows another tremendous truth proving that Jesus is better than the angels because that's what he goes on into about the angels. And if angels are nearest to God and Jesus is superior to angels, what does that make Jesus? God. And that's the point. Secondly, it answers an objection. The objection could easily be this. Well, if Jesus was only a man, how could he be superior to angels? As a man, he died. How could he possibly be superior to angels? Well, the author answers that objection or that potential objection in this passage. Number three, these verses reveal the only answer for the recovery of mankind's lost destiny. We just talked about that. We had to lose everything before we can find something, right? Lose it all. Our shack has been burnt to the ground. We have nothing to depend upon. Only God. We have lost everything. And this passage reveals the only answer for our recovery of our lost destiny. Because we've lost our way. We've lost our meaning of existence. And these verses are going to teach us that mankind can recover our destiny and what the destiny of mankind is. So there are three facts I want to share with you this morning. End of the text now. Hebrews chapter 2, beginning with verse 5. The destiny of mankind is clearly revealed by God. What is our destiny? Here it is, verse 5. 
For he has not put the world to come, of which we speak, in subjection to angels. Now what the author is saying is that God never, ever promised the world to come to angels. In fact, in Hebrews 1.14, you'll find that the angels are set forth to minister to us. The very ones who will inherit salvation are the ones they minister to. In other words, in the coming world, angels will be ministers and not rulers. They will not be sovereign in any way. And this phrase here, world to come, the word in the Greek for world means the inhabited earth. In other words, it's not referring to a heavenly realm, but an earthly realm. And it's followed up with the words in subjection. And this word subjection is a military term. It was used for arranging your soldiers in order uh, under a commanding officer. And the word speaks of a system of administration, and God has not, nor will he turn the system of administration of the world to angels, the future world. Absolutely not. So think about it. Remember that God is the one, and I think you would agree with this, because Romans 13.1 says it. He is the one who gives out various administrations and ordains every power on this earth. Understand that. The reason that Putin is in charge in the Soviet Union and Russia is because God put him there. The reason that we have Biden in office is because God put him there. Don't be, don't be fooled by saying, well, we did this or we elected. No, 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 no. Listen, the sovereignty of God overrules all of that. And God is setting up in time what he's setting up. And he puts different people at different places, different leaders at different places. Because Romans 13, 1 says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Pretty simple. So God chooses the various sovereigns. Where they rule, if they rule at all, and in the world to come, the angels will not be in charge. Now, what does it mean when it says the world to come? Well, I will tell you the world to come one day will be a world of perfection. There will be no more tears, no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more crying. Revelation 21, verse 4. The world to come is a great and glorious world. And whoever reigns in that world to come must be glorious beyond glory. And it's not angels. So this indicates to us a couple of very interesting facts that we need to look at. First of all, the angel's rule or angel's superiority over mankind is temporary. And I'll explain that in a few minutes. Temporary. Not permanent, but temporary. Secondly, the world we now inhabit is currently in subjection to angels. Did you know that? The world we inhabit now is in subjection to angels. Did you know that? Both holy angels and fallen angels. Let me illustrate that to you. Who is the number one fallen angel? Satan, right? Who's prince of the world? Satan, right? 1 John 5, 19 says, We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Now get this. Not only does Satan and his fallen angels rule in the world, but the holy angels have kind of a sovereignty as well in this world that we live in. Daniel 10, 20. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I have gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. He's talking about angels fighting among each other. 
And we must understand that the rule of this earth is now in the hands of fallen angels and holy angels, and that's the conflict. In fact, that's the conflict for you and I. Don't be fooled today to say, well, I'm in church and Satan is not here. Who told you that? Right? We're in a battle, even as I'm preaching, I'm struggling in a battle of spirits, of unknown spirits. Well, I can't see them, but I know they're there. Daniel 12.1 says, At that time Michael will stand up, the great prince who stands watches over the sons of your people. Michael is defined as a ruler of the people of the earth in Daniel 12.1, at least the redeemed ones. So right now this earth is subject to both holy angels and fallen angels. And the only reason this earth that we know today that is in subject, in subjection to both sets of angels, the only reason that it is is that mankind, we have lost the sovereignty that God gave us from the beginning. You see, God made this earth to be subject to mankind, not to angels. But angels are only temporarily filling the gap, and Satan stole it from mankind, by the way, in the Garden of Eden. Ephesians 6.12 makes it clear, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So this is saying that there's going to be an inhabited earth to come one day, and it can't be this earth. Why? Because this current inhabited earth is already here. And this current inhabited earth isn't to come, but it's to do what? Let me tell you, it's about to come to an end. It's got to go. And it's getting closer and closer to being completely incinerated, according to 2 Peter 3.10. Some of you have a lot of treasures on earth. By the way, don't worry about your house. It's going to be burned up. Don't worry about your new car. It's going to be burned up one day. Don't worry about all the things that you've collected, all the antique. Well, I've got a lot of stuff. I'm sorry. It's going to be gone one day. It's not going to be around anymore. 2 Peter 3.10 says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Bottom line. So there's got to be an inhabited earth to come, right? I believe it's going to be the great millennial kingdom, a new inhabited earth. And all the creatures that will be part of this new inhabited earth are going to be totally different than what they are now on this inhabited earth. And even the people who enter this new inhabited earth will all be redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And the fact is, the world to come will be in subjection, not to angels any longer, but to redeemed mankind. I know that your outline says mankind, but I want to add to you and tell you that unredeemed mankind will not inherit this millennial kingdom. It will be redeemed, born again, Christians who will inhabit it. Understand? And these verses reveal God's planned destiny for mankind. Notice in Hebrews 2.6. And when you read this, you're thinking, well, this is talking about Jesus. Well, no, it's not. It's talking about mankind. Look at Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 6 as we continue on with our passage. But one testified in a certain place saying, notice, Notice he didn't mention an Old Testament author, did he? Who was this Old Testament author? King David. 
Psalm chapter 8. And here's what he said. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? Notice this term, son of man. Some have said, well, that means Christ. But it's simply a Hebrew term for mankind. And the point of Hebrews chapter 2, verse 6, from Psalm chapter 8, David is saying, God, what is man that you'd be so good to him? What is man that you would give him so much blessing and so much grace and so much forgiveness? Well, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 7 talks about that. You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. You put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him. And we'll stop right there in verse 8. Did you hear what he said? Did you know that God's original design for mankind was to rule the earth? Did you know that? And that everything in existence was to be in subjection to mankind? And that's what David was saying. God, you've done all of this. Well, what is man that you would do it through man? I mean, when you look at the entire universe, God, what is man? Just a little speck in the universe. But mankind was designed to be king. And God made both male and female to rule. That's mankind's destiny. In other words, on your outline, mankind was designed by God to be royalty. Did you know that? How do you know that? Well, Genesis chapter 1 tells us. Turn there with me. Genesis chapter 1. We're studying the book of Genesis in our chapel services next door with the older students. And... Um, John and I are hitting them with a lot of stuff, and they're picking it up, and they're learning how to answer uh, these philosophers and these people that say God does not exist by looking at Genesis chapter 1. And Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31, I'm going to read those for you. Great passage of Scripture. Then God said, let us, capital U, God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit, got it? Let us make man in our image, capital O, you are. According to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, underline that. No in-between. Well, I think I'm, I, I think I'm a, a male, but I think I want to be fit. No! You're not. You'll never will be. He created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over everything that lives on the earth. Did you hear that? And God said, see, I've given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. The evening and the morning were the sixth day. 
So you say, well, Pastor, how then was man made lower than the angels? It was not that man was lower than angels spiritually. It wasn't that man was made lower in the sense of how much God loved them or that God was lower or that man was lower than angels in the sense of importance to God. Five ways. Number one, man was confined to a physical body. Angels are able to move freely as spirits. How many of you know that? Can you move freely as a spirit right now? No. Try jumping off the roof of the church and see what happens. Gravity will take full force, right? Now, don't try that. I know some of you kids say, oh, that sounds like fun. Number two, man was confined strictly to the earth. Angels were not confined only to the supernatural. In other words, angels can move down to earth anytime they want. They're sovereign on this earth right now. So they had options that mankind didn't have. Number three, mankind's only communion with God was when? When God came to this earth through Jesus Christ. Angels have, have had access continually to God's throne. Angels have had communion with God all the time. They don't need salvation in Christ like mankind does. Angels have never been separated from God. Number four, angels are supernatural. Man, we are natural. Men and women, though we are created by God, sinless, we're still natural. Angels are spirit beings, yet man was made out of the dust of the earth. Number five, angels following Satan's rebellion were secured in holiness forever. Mankind was not. In other words, though man and woman was created sinless to begin with, we were given a choice to sin or to obey God. Angels were created without sin as well, and they had a choice. As you know, Lucifer and a third of the angels had a choice to either obey God and worship him, or else they would be tossed out of heaven. They were tossed out of heaven because they also had an opportunity. But angels have supernatural powers that even we don't have. But the key is this. Listen to this. Angels have no possibility of ever dying. Have you ever thought about that? Mankind has sinned, and the penalty for sin is what? Death. So who will eventually possess the future kingdom? Redeem mankind. Daniel 7, 18. I love these passages of Scripture. Listen, these are from the Old Testament. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Do you believe that today? Daniel 7.27 says, Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Luke chapter 20. Turn there with me. I know you're in, Revela in Genesis and you're in Daniel. You're all over the place. Don't worry about it. We'll get there. Hang, hang with me, all right? Hang with me. Luke chapter 20. And we're going to look at verses 34 through 36. Listen to what uh, the Bible says here, what Jesus says here. I'm, I'm still not there. Y'all there yet? Oh, there you are. You're there. Jesus answered and said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are counted worthy to attain that age and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, nor can they die anymore, for they are equal to the angels and are sons of God, being sons in the resurrection. He's talking about us when we get to heaven. We'll no longer have to die anymore. Death will be no more. But even Moses showed in the burning bush 
passage that the dead are raised when he called the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Amen to that. For he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. And I wanted to point that passage out because uh, some people get confused. Well, will there be marriage in heaven? No, we will all be resurrected bodies in heaven. Now, does it mean that, that you won't recognize your spouse? No, that does, of course you'll recognize people. But, but again, marriage will no longer be a part. Who are you married to when you get to heaven? Can anyone tell me? Who are you married to when you get to heaven? To Jesus. He is our husband. He is the bridegroom. He's the one that's going to come back one day and take us all home to heaven to be with him. He is coming soon. And look to the sky for your redemption draweth nigh. I promise you that. I promise you that. Thank you, Jesus. Now do you see God's revealed plan? Because in Revelation 3.21, Jesus says, To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. That's a promise from God. But something drastic happened. Something happened on the way to the kingdom. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 8. I love this passage of scripture because it's very, very clear of what he's trying to say to us here in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 8. At the end of verse 8, here's what he says. Help, it would help out and I would get there to, to this passage. He left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see, did you hear that? We do not yet see all things put under him. Why right now on this earth do we struggle? Why is it? We do not yet see all things put under him. You see, a tragedy happened on the way to mankind's reigning with Christ. Adam sinned, and Eve followed. And by the way, Adam was the one that sinned. Do you understand that? Eve was the weaker of the vessel. Adam was nowhere to be found when Eve was tempted by the serpent. And so Adam sinned, Eve followed. They were no longer sinless. Their perfect relationship with God was broken for all eternity, it appeared. Genesis chapter 3. Back to Genesis. Some of you who are on your phones, you're cheating. You're just pushing buttons. All right, 3.14, listen. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. As you know, that's a messianic reference right there. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of life which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. Every time I work in the flower bed or I mow, I say, darn you, Adam. Ugh. You're the one that caused these thistles to grow. You caused those thistles to get into your clothes. 
and cause your clothes to go into the washer, and they still stick. And they cause your clothes to come out of the dryer with sticker burrs in them. <laughs> if you ever got caught in your underwear, you know what I'm talking about. I probably shouldn't have added that, but I'm just saying. And toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles you shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And then all the way down to verse 22. Then the Lord said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. He drove the man out. He drove Eve out. And he placed cherubim, the Bible says, at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way so they could not be found. That's what happened. And what happened when he sinned? He immediately lost his crown. He immediately lost his royalty. What happened to them immediately after they sinned? The curses of God were placed on them. They not only had to leave the Garden of Eden, but immediately, if you will read on in Genesis, there was immediate murder in their family. There was polygamy in their family. And then death. And by the time you come to Genesis chapter 6, God destroys the whole world because it's gotten so wicked and evil. And it's only taken a few chapters, right? For all that to happen. Mankind lost its crown, and we alluded to it earlier. The earth is currently ruled in the conflict between the holy and fallen angels. But who wears the crown now? Right now, it's the usurper who stole the crown, Satan himself. You won't want to miss this. Even the earth that God created knows that it's corrupt. Did you know that? The fact is, not only does mankind long for our restoration and redemption, but the earth groans for its redemption as well. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. A great passage of Scripture. We don't look at it enough. In fact, all of chapter 8 is a great chapter, is it not? Romans chapter 8, we're going to look at verses 18 through 21. Listen to what Paul says here. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Who, what's it waiting for? Revealing. Who's he talking about? The sons of God. Not talking about the Son of God. He's talking about the sons of God. Who are the sons of God? We are. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So right now, man is subject to the earth. And what do we do? We sow, and we don't know who, who will reap. We heap up, and we don't know who will gather. We build our cities and palaces and hurricanes, tornadoes, lightning, earthquakes, and storms tear them to pieces. Man tries to plant, but he's always fighting the earth from the thorns and thistles that plague him. Folks, we are in a groaning creation. 
the distress of nations, wars as the world languishes in political and social conflict, the whine of pain that comes from dumb animals, the struggle of trees to combat disease and insects, the presence of hospitals to house the sick and dying victims of a cursed earth. But listen, God never, ever designed it that way. But for a little while, but someday in the world to come, when the King of Kings comes and establishes once and for all his kingdom, I will tell you, my friends, hospitals will be closed. Doctors will be out of business. Wars will end. The ravenous nature of animals will be changed. The tree, the flowers, the mountains, and the green herb of the earth will flourish. And the game of politics will be over. And redeemed mankind will reign forever Bring us to the last point. Here we go. Whew, it's going to get better. Hebrews 2.9. Why do we come to this last point? Because I will tell you, the destiny of mankind was clearly recovered by Jesus Christ. Praise God for that. Look at verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. For, and by the way, when it says that, what does it mean? Does it mean he's less than the angels? No, no. He was made as man, Right? He was man, Emmanuel, God with us, but he was still a man. For the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. You see, the wages of sin is death. And the only payment for sin is death. Romans 6.10 says, for the death that Jesus died... He died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Somebody had to pay the penalty for our sin. Somebody had to recover our destiny because it was lost for these many years. It's been lost. Somebody had to stand in the gap for you and I. Either you and I were going to pay for our sin or Jesus was going to pay for our sin. One of the two. And Jesus came and did just that. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, it's through the death of Jesus we are redeemed and restored. It's through the death of Jesus our destiny has been recovered. And recall we said earlier that Satan is now wearing that crown? Oh, not for very long. Not for very long. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 5. Oh, it's get, it gets better. This gets better. God just gets better. Listen. Chapter 5, Revelation verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I, John, wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Listen, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne, and in the four living creatures, and in that midst of the elders, stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. I will tell you that the Satan has hold of that right now. 
He has control of the earth. But one day, oh, he's going to be knocked all the way to the bottomless pit. Because the King of kings and Lord of lords will proclaim what is coming. You see, God created this earth. Satan did. God spoke the words, and all the things were created. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, by the way, we're all going to sing this song one day. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Did you hear that? At the cross, at the cross, for I first saw the light. Listen, it's at the cross where it's even ground. Do you understand that? There is no more prejudice. There is no more racism. There is no more pointing fingers. Well, he's white. He's, no, listen, it doesn't matter anymore. And I've always said all this nonsense that we had to go through the last couple of years with Black Lives Matter, I will tell you, in the cross, all lives matter because it's every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Man, give God praise today. Stop all this nonsense. We're to love everybody. We are created to fellowship with everybody. That's what life's about. And all these people marching and acting like fools aren't getting anywhere. Because one day, we're all going to stand. We're all going to stand. Black, white, yellow. It doesn't matter what color of your skin. We're all going to stand worshiping the King of kings and Lord of lords. And I can't wait. And by the way, even we with accents will stand. I don't know who I'm talking to. Even your accent won't matter at the cross, at the throne. Hallelujah. It doesn't matter what part of the country you're from, you're still going to be there. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And what is the recovered destiny? Oh, I will read for you Revelation chapter 20 as we close today. A great chapter. You've always wondered, and I've always wondered perhaps what the millennial kingdom is supposed to be for this inhabited earth for us. The kingdom of God will come. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. And after these things, he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Who is them? We are them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark and on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Underline that. And this is even cooler. This is even more. This is even more fascinating than that. Turn to Isaiah chapter two, verses one through four. You're saying I'm tired. Turn back there. That's okay. You'll get used to it. By the way, we use the Bible here. I don't know whether y'all notice that or not. 
Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. This is some great news here. Prophesying about the millennial kingdom. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountain and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations, and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. You know what that means? No more war. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. You like that? Oh, you're really going to like the next one. And it's in Isaiah. I'm not going to flip you back through the other. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 through 10. This verse is always amazing. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole. And the winged child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Even the animals have been redeemed. Even the cobra has been redeemed. The trees and the flowers and the birds of the air have all been redeemed. Listen, what a wonderful promise we have. And even though we've lost everything because of sin, we're going to get it back one day. And it's going to be so good. We cry out with the Apostle Paul even now. In Romans chapter 7, verses 24 and 25. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ my Lord. Amen, amen, and amen. Hallelujah today, what a Savior we have. Hallelujah, give him praise today because he's going to restore us one day. Hallelujah that he's gone to prepare a place for us. If he goes and prepares a place for us, he will come again and receive us to himself. That where we are, we will see he will be with him all, all together. All together, all together, all together. Woo! Some of you today, some of you today, you've lost your destiny. And you are still in a lost condition. In fact, the Bible says that your sin has separated you from God. And because your sin has separated you from God, there's no way that you can get to heaven. The things that we just talked about today, they do not belong to you at this time. They do not belong to you. You will not make it to heaven. The fact of the matter is, if you continue to live your life like you're living it, there's a place called hell that you will occupy one day. You say, well, I don't believe in hell. Well, you know, that's irrelevant. It's real. And today, for the very first time, you're saying, listen, Pastor, I understand my destiny has been lost. And I need Jesus as my Lord and Savior. It is time to receive Christ. Well, maybe next Sunday. Next Sunday may never come. Maybe next time when I'm in church, I'll surrender my life to Jesus. Do not wait. Do not wait. 
Do you know that every day there is death? For some, when they die, they take their first breath in a place called heaven. But for some others, tragically, they take their first breath in hell. It's your choice. God wants you saved. God loves you. God loved you so much that he died, sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. Won't you give your life to him today? Man, he's begging you. He wants you to give your life to him. Some of you think you're saved, but you're not saved. Well, surprise. Well, I go to church, and, and I'm part of the youth group, and I can, I can you, know, I, I'm, you know, I'm this and I'm that. Listen, if your life has not changed, if you can't forgive people, if you can't hold yourself accountable for your actions, and you just want to live your life, listen, you are dying right now. You don't even know it. Well, I go to church. It doesn't matter. I go to Taco Bell. Oh, now listen, we've got some haters over here, Scott. Scott's my only one in the congregation that likes to talk about. But listen, you cannot depend today on just being in church. Right? Once you give your life to Christ, today's the day. Some of you today, you're Christians, you love the Lord, but there's so much burden on your heart. You just want to come and pray at this altar. We'll be up here and pray with you. We will seek God's face with you. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your word today. Thank you, Lord, for the, for the promise that we are recovering our lost destiny one day in a place that's going to be perfect. Father, thank you for all your blessings. Thank you for Jesus who died on the cross for our sins. Bless this invitation time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If God leads you today, you come as we sing. Let the wind 